John Eno, and welcome to the Reed Smith Podcast, Inclusivity Included, Powerful Personal Stories. In each episode of this podcast, our guests will share their personal stories, passions, and challenges, past and present, all with a goal of bringing people together and learning more about others. You might be surprised by what we all have in common, inclusivity included. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have a really interesting and informative discussion, so we're looking forward to jumping right in. Today I'm joined by our standby co-host, Ivelisse Crespo. Hey, Ivelisse. Hey, John. So today we are privileged to have executives from the American Indian College Fund. Uh, first, let me introduce Cheryl Crazybull, who is the president and CEO. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, John. Nice to be here with you. Absolutely. What a pleasure it is. And we also are joined by a fellow lawyer, uh, Emily Whitehat, who is the Vice President of Programs at the American Indian College Fund. Hey, Emily. Hi, John. Nice to join you today. So it's it's really great to have uh, both of you today. I don't know, Cheryl, maybe you can give us just a little bit of a, a background on the American Indian College Fund. Oh, sure. I'm very happy to do that. The College Fund is a a nonprofit organization that was established by tribal colleges and universities to support access to uh, higher education for Native students that attend tribal colleges and universities. And um, in recent years, the College Fund has grown to include supporting students from that attend other higher education institutions, and we do a lot of work to support programming and capacity at tribal colleges as well. Yeah, fantastic. And so, you know, the, um, the the title of our podcast is Powerful Personal Stories. Um, it'd be great for both Cheryl and Emily to hear a little bit about your uh, background, your personal stories, and uh, really what drove you to uh, this work. So maybe we'll go start with Cheryl. Well, thank you. I'm happy to do that. Um, First, let me start by introducing uh, myself um, in our uh, Lakota language. I'm going to say Medaku Yepi, Wachiapiwi, Machiapi, Lena, Shitango, Lakota, Imataha, Chante, Washte, Nape, Tauzapo. I might say relatives. Uh, my Lakota name is Wachiapiwi, which means they depend on her. I'm a citizen of the Shitango Lakota Nation, which is located on the Rosebud Reservation. Um, in South Central South Dakota, and I just greet all of our listeners with uh, a good heart and a handshake. Um, I was born and raised uh, on the Rosebud Reservation. Um, both of my parents were also born um, and raised in there. Um, I have worked in tribal education for my entire career, which is coming upon um, 39 years this uh, this August, actually. And uh, I think if I were to characterize my personal story, I'm sort of an uh, every um, Native person story of uh, growing up in a tribal community surrounded by an extended family, uh, engaged with um, our traditional um, practices and our traditional extended family relationships. And had that opportunity to go to college. I went to college to three different colleges before I got my undergraduate degree. So I think I'm fairly typical of a lot of Native students who want a college education but find it very challenging um, to achieve. Um, I have a a large family. I have uh, 
you know, three children and four stepchildren and around 30 grandchildren and uh, seven great grandchildren. So I'm also very rooted in my uh, extended family and in the cultures and traditions of my people and have really uh, enjoyed the vocation of being an advocate for tribal education. So I think that's a little bit of my story. Well, well with seven children and all the grandchildren, um, it is, I wanted to congratulate you. I noted that you recently received the um, Legacy Award from Working Mother Media. Uh, so fantastic. Thank you. So Emily, you want to tell us a little bit about your personal story and how you uh, got to the, the, the work that you're doing now? Sure. Emily My name is Emily Whitehat, and I provided my introduction in my Lakota language for any of my relatives that may listen to the podcast and Wanted to also greet everyone today with a good heart and a handshake. I too am a citizen of the Sichangu Lakota Nation um, and grew up in St. Francis, just south of Rosebud on the Rosebud Reservation, was born in Rosebud. Um, and I'm from the Ashkegluipi Tioshbai, which is um, what would be known as our, our extended clan system. And Ashkegluipi means that we wrap our hair in defiance. I am currently the Vice President of Programs at the American Indian College Fund, where our work focuses on place-based programming that includes inter the intergenerational transfer of knowledge and is rooted in traditional Native values in the areas of early childhood education, environmental stewardship, Native arts and culture, uh, and workforce development areas such as reentry to education, high school equivalency, and also looking at veterans' support. I was a single parent uh, in my college and law school um, time, so I understand the challenges that a majority of our parents face going to school as a parent. And, um, you know, my son had to go to class with me often, and um, I always joke that he really had to be sick for us to miss a day of school. Um, and one day we were going to one of my finals and he started throwing up as we got to the car. And I said, okay, wait, wait, you're really sick. Let's, let's go in and figure this out. So um, I know what it is to be a parent and to kind of navigate those challenges uh, in college. I went to law school to have a better understanding of how the laws and policies impacted my people, the Sichangu Lakota, as well as what those impacts were on our tribal sovereignty. And I've been fortunate over um, my career to have a variety of careers where I feel like each, each has built on the other. I started uh, my professional career as a firefighter and volunteered my time as an EMT. And I've been a policy researcher in Washington, D.C., as well as a prosecutor for my tribe. Um, and I'm now in this current role as a vice president applying life lessons and career lessons learned. Supporting tribal sovereignty and making this world a better place for our Native and Indigenous children for the next seven generations and beyond is really what drives my work. I want access, opportunity, and visibility for our Native youth. Um, and I also want to be a good relative that shows up and speaks up when uh, our voices need to be heard. Um, I'm a tribal college graduate, and I come from a family of seven children all of us have gone to college, um, not everybody has completed, but we all have. And But for tribal colleges, both my parents likely would not have gotten their college degrees 
in the uh, 1980s. And so I did enter college as a second generation college student, which is a different experience that many of our Native youth still face today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you folks, you both have really incredible stories. But we'd like to switch gears now and focus a little bit about the work that you're doing at the American Indian College Fund specifically. Uh, would you mind, Cheryl, telling us a little bit about the populations that you serve? And what are some of the issues that are impacting those communities and influencing the work that you do? Sure. I want to um, say first that the College Fund and tribal colleges and universities serve the vision of increasing culturally rooted higher education attainment by American Indians and Alaska Native people. Um, prior to this current pandemic, the rate of college degree attainment for uh, Indigenous peoples, American Indians, Alaska Natives in particular, was less than half of that of other groups. So according to the U.S. Census uh, Community Survey, it's about 14.5% of uh, Indigenous peoples in the population that we serve that are over 25 have a bachelor's degree. And that's compared to over 21% of the overall population. So we estimate that we would need another 800,000 American Indian, Alaska Native peoples to get a college degree to just even have parity with the um, rest of the U.S. population. And um, I, I think that we, um, the, in particular, the tribal colleges and universities serve about 21,000 students who are native and um, other rural students. So we also serve, um, you know, a rural non-native population because of the locations of our institutions, which are mostly on rural um, Indian reservations. Uh, that's about 11% of all the American Indians, Alaska Natives that are in college in the United States. So it's a significant number of people who are going to really these 35 institutions compared to literally hundreds of other higher education institutions. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the current environment because the pandemic and the focus on uh, racial injustice have really impacted our communities. Um, the immediate concern that we had when the pandemic hit was how are we going to support Native students staying focused and committed to their uh, higher education goals? Um, the pandemic has had incredible you know, health-related, uh, economic, and social impacts in um, our tribal communities, and tribal colleges have had to be very responsive to the immediate and short-term needs of students. And the College Fund stepped up to participate with that. Um, we recognize that the number of students that we have, which is uh, that we're working, was around 50% of our students who were employed either part-time or full-time. And the loss of jobs in our communities has you know, exacerbated an already high unemployment rate and already, you know, high um, poverty rate in our communities. Um, we found that our that the digital divide, which is quite extreme in uh, rural America, is even more extreme in rural reservation environments. And so the pandemic you know, really exacerbated that as well. Um, and because our institutions um, are really focused on uh, revitalization 
of our cultural identity and overcoming the kind of oppressive practices of uh, particularly the government and, you know, really looking for ways to um, restore the well-being of our communities. We found ourselves to be particularly challenged by um, being visible in the current um, racial discussions, the race-related discussions that are going on. So we've seen some pretty serious situations arise in our communities as a result of the current environment. Thank you, Cheryl. So I'll also share that in, uh, it just so happened that in the fall of 2019, the College Fund, in collaboration with the Hope Center at Temple University, uh, administered the Real College Survey, which looks at student basic needs. Um, we were able to do this with 11 tribal colleges and universities and release the report in March of this year, coincidentally, when the U.S. first started shutting down due to the pandemic. And that survey uh, really told the story that we who work in tribal education already knew, but it give a, gave us the data that helps tell that story to a broader audience. So we discovered that 62% of the respondents to the survey reported being hungry or food insecure in the prior year. And what was most alarming to us was that this included a number of students who indicated that they actually did not have enough food for themselves and their family. So it just wasn't worrying about whether or not they were going to have enough food. They actually did not have enough and skipped days of eating um, because of that uh, food insecurity. And then not surprisingly, uh, 69% of the respondents reported that in the prior year they had been housing insecure. And it, you may be aware that housing uh, on Indian reservations is already uh, insufficient for the populations in our communities. And we have a lot of multifamily households we have a lot of individuals then who experience homelessness. Um, so this was pretty alarming to us to see the extent to which um, our students didn't feel that they were uh, safely housed. Wow, wow, those are astounding numbers, um, both on the housing and, and the food insecurity. Emily, you know, with all the you know tribal college and university students facing these challenges, what specifically is the College Fund doing to address some of these issues? We're working um, to, to really support the TCUs that are looking at food sovereignty programs that are place-based. Many of our TCUs are involved in our environmental stewardship programming, which has really over the last few years uh, cultivated that knowledge and interest in gardening, community education. We're seeing across our tribal nations a lot of uh, farmers markets that are reemerging. I think something that was prevalent through the pandemic um, just across the country in general was the access to seeds uh, as many people went back to gardening. Uh, we also know that our, our tribal colleges are providing um, food to our families and to our students. Uh, at the College Fund, we continue to also advocate for increased investment in student housing. Uh, a few of our tribal colleges have housing on campus, but we know that that's still a tremendous need, not only at our TCU campuses, but in our tribal communities. 
Uh, and of course, increasing the scholarship awards for students to increase their access to sufficient financial resources. So for example, if a student receives a maximum Powell award of around 6,100, along with one of our full circle scholarships of around 4,500, there's still a significant gap in funding based on the average cost of TCU attendance, which for off-campus students, um, and the, which the vast majority of TCU students are, is around $17,700, which then leaves a gap of around $7,000. Um, and then the College Fund also has been in, involved in advocating in other areas around voting and census um, to bring visibility to our communities. We know that involvement in the census is absolutely critical um, in, in getting our communities to complete their, their census um, and our relatives at home to complete their information in the census before that is finished this fall, uh, and then voting as we have an election coming up this fall as well. Uh, the College Fund has also done advocacy around awareness for LGBTQ relatives, as well as uh, relatives that are re-entering into an education program after incarceration, and then also involved in an Indigenous higher education equity initiative to bring more awareness uh, and visibility to our Native students. Wow, there's just, just so much there. It's fantastic, all the things that the College Fund is doing. You know, with all these uh, challenges, whether it's food insecurity, housing insecurity, how are the students faring just kind of relatively in terms of their um, academic success? Our students are, are just tremendously awesome. Um, the success of our students, we think, can be attributed to their reasons for going to college. Um, as you've heard both Cheryl and I share our stories, many of our students are very similar in that they have a desire to improve the lives of their children and families uh, and their intention to improve the lives of uh, their communities and to support tribal sovereignty and self-determination. According to the Gallup-Purdue study conducted collaboratively with the College Fund and released in October 2019, nearly 75% of our students are employed in areas that benefit their tribes, and TCU alums are two times more likely than their peers to thrive in areas of well-being assessed by the Gallup survey in the areas of physical, community, financial, social, and career focuses. As I mentioned, the College Fund um, also has produced this report for institutes of higher education primarily of course, um, predominantly white institutions. Our report, our, our initiative is the Indigenous Higher Education Equity Initiative. And in that, we give specific recommendations um, from stakeholders to the PWIs to share how they can create safer, more welcoming environments for students. But our students are the most resilient individuals you'll find. Um, many are just balancing so many complexities of daily life, family crisis. Many of our students are the head of their households in intergenerational families, um, multi-generational families, and really stepping up to take on that responsibility and accountability as Native people to, to get their education and to live good lives. So that's amazing. You had mentioned just mentioned that um, you know a number of the graduates, a significant amount of the graduates, um, end up working um, with the tribes. What types of outreach are you also doing for, say, other organizations? And so, 
how can they, you know, do a better job, frankly, of, of, of recruiting and bringing in some of um, the graduates from TCUs? We, we're always open to conversations with organizations that are interested um, in recruiting our graduates. Um, we know that we're always starting at an area of education with our um, with those partnerships. Uh, one of the things that I think is really uh, important to understand about our students is the importance of our cultural identity, our spiritual and traditional ways of life. And with that brings a responsibility um, that we all carry as Native people that not only impacts our, our work that we're doing and whatever profession we're doing, but many of us have responsibilities back to our communities that um, we have to carry out throughout the year that involve traditional and social ceremonial uh, responsibilities, as well as different um, cultural responsibilities. And so um, when we when we visit with individuals and we visit with partners that are interested in hiring our students, those are things that we really bring awareness to because I think it's important. And we're not asking for a special consideration, but what we're asking for is an understanding that um, our daily lives also include a whole community with us, um, whether we're in Denver or whether we're um, in St. Francis, South Dakota, you know, we still have those sort of responsibilities that are just inherent in us um, that we carry. For, for Cheryl, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us um, what some of that inclusive behavior looks like, right? Because if you're partnering with organizations and the goal there is for them to retain um, Indigenous populations uh, and also aid them in their success to make sure that they're successful at these organizations, um, in addition to having an understanding of cultural competency in, re in respect to these populations, what are some of the other ways that these organizations can foster inclusion um, to make sure that people are being successful? Sure. I, I do have some specific recommendations. I think some of the principles that were referred to um, regarding our Indigenous Higher Education uh, Equity Initiative also apply in the workplace. Um, there has to be an, a, a deliberate and persistent education about the historical and contemporary experiences of Indigenous peoples because this is lacking in the K-12 system and it's generally lacking in higher education as well. So we find uh, that most um, Americans, most people in the United States uh, don't even think that Native people still exist. So there is a, a high need for that kind of persistent uh, education about the history of indigenous people's experiences and then the contemporary experiences that we have. Um, I think organizations have to have mechanisms by which team members can address bias in organizational policies and practices because Creating a safe and welcoming environment means that people need to address the ways that they might be exhibiting, um, you know, racist aggression or you know, other kinds of racist practices. So if an organization doesn't have a mechanism by which people can address that, I think it's really hard for Indigenous peoples to find a place for themselves in those organizations. And I believe that that applies to all people of color. 
Um, I also recognize that there are a limited number of Indigenous peoples who are trained for the variety of positions that are available in the workforce more broadly. So in organizations, I feel, should have um, a very expansive outreach and recruitment effort um, and really put it on um, their team members to find ways to approach Native peoples in different environments, whether it's an urban or rural or reservation environment. And I do encourage organizations, corporations in particular, to invest in education. Uh, we know that education um, is that pathway to a more successful life, to a better life. But if people don't have the resources to even get that education, then you don't have a pool of people that you can recruit from and then address all of these other concerns and issues that might um, occur in, in, um, in organizations. Excellent advice. Cheryl, at the uh, beginning, uh, you, you noted, uh, just noted right now as well, that, um, you know, standing together um, and kind of what's going on in, in, our, in our nation, the you know, Black Lives Matter. Um, I, I saw recently that the, the College Fund um, put out a statement in terms of um, you know, standing in solidarity. You know, what, um, what are you specifically doing in terms of racial injustice now? And maybe you know, are you partnering with any other organizations as well in terms of um, addressing racial injustice? Yeah, well, so I think that addressing racial, racial injustice is uh, the heartbeat of what the College Fund does, because we're removing barriers to education that are created by racial injustice um, on a more, um, I guess, collaborative scale. Um, the College Fund did make the decision that we were not going to just put out a statement of solidarity, but that we were going to do things to be more engaged. So we've had many of our team members, um, you know, be on panels with different organizations that are exploring uh, racial justice issues in their, um, among their constituents or in their corporations. Uh, we are sponsoring an Indigenous activism speaker series where we're bringing in Indigenous activists from various walks of activism various kinds of things that people are doing to share their experiences and their advice and their practices. We're in the process of creating a curriculum um, for college students on organizing and activism. Uh, so we just partner across the country with um, you know, others that are working toward more visibility. Um, the College Fund has also been very active in supporting changes in uh, the names of um, sports teams when they have harmful um, mascot names and imagery. So we're very active in um, those kinds of spaces as well. Absolutely. We've been having a lot of discussions at Reed Smith, certainly about intersectionality and collaboration um, and social movements in general. So it's really, it's really great to hear that you folks are thinking really critically about you know, not just the issues impacting your communities, but also the issues impacting other communities as well. Now, Emily, we, we, heard, we hear about the great work that you folks are doing. We hear about the amazing stories um, of the communities that you serve. 
how can we as organizations or individuals get involved and support the work of the College Fund? Thanks for that question, Ivelisse. As we mentioned, our most important goal is to continue to support the students by removing the barriers to their continued access to education. And for us, this is expansive. We must provide anything our students need to stay in school and complete their education to achieve their goal in creating successful Native individuals, families, and communities. And this includes financial resources that support laptops, um, other tech tools, internet access, food, housing, uh, utility support, uh, funding for medicine, supplies for children, and transportation. And so um, our, you could visit our website at www.collegefund.org and look at more in-depthly at some of our programming. Uh, and we also really appreciate the support of donors um, as well as partners and individuals that are out there and foundations that want to support our work. The college fund's capacity and that of the tribal colleges to support continued college readiness programs, scholarship, leadership training, student success programs, and career training, as well as transition programs is more vital now because of the educational, economic, and social crises in our communities. So we really invite you to learn more about our work, ask questions, share our resources. The reports that we've mentioned um, in today's podcast are available on our website as well. And uh, just continue to bring awareness to Native communities and Native youth. Cheryl and Emily, thank you for sharing with our audience uh, all these great things that the the, the College Fund is doing. It's been so informative and so important. We really appreciate you coming in today. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Inclusivity Included is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and ReedSmith.com. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.